Hey there, it's Michelle Pilpich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this podcast, Simply Intuitive. On the show, we are talking about all things intuitive eating, active living, and breaking down what's true versus what's a myth in the wellness world so that you can focus on simple and sustainable ways to actually improve your health. If you're feeling overwhelmed by all of the health information floating around and you just want to know what to do to feel your best, you're in the right place. Not only are specific tips coming your way, but you can also count on conversations that will challenge your perspective on what health really means. So I hope you'll stick around for many episodes to come, but for now, let's get into today's show. Hi, Kara. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for this conversation. As I was just telling you, I think you are going to be a wealth of knowledge about recovery in your field. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely something I feel like I know quite a bit about, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good thing for everyone listening who who wants your wisdom. So before we dive in too much, can you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, my name is Kara DiPietro, and I am an actor in New York City. I also am a content creator. I do work on TikTok and Instagram, and I just kind of share my life and my journey and my experience as an actor and what that is like, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it is so fun to follow along. I found you on TikTok and I have loved following you even as a non-actor, non, <laughs> non like someone pursuing acting. Um, it's very fun to follow. And you're living the dream that so many people want in New York. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm, I've been really lucky this last year. I've been really blessed and really lucky. Incredible. So why don't you tell us to start off a little bit about how you got here? Like, when did you start with acting and what has your journey been to, you know, actually doing it, especially in New York? Yeah. So both of my parents were performers and they met in college and they both got degrees in theater and they went on to do other things. My mom went on to teach. My dad went on to go to law school. Um, But when they had my brother and I, we were just kind of like raised on it. We were truly raised on like you're a good man, Charlie Brown and Godspell mm-hmm. and Big River and all of those like classic soundtracks. Um, and so my brother and I were exposed to it from a very young age. And so my parents just kind of knew um, that this was something I was going to want to do. And I was very lucky that I had two parents that were always incredibly supportive of me, um, which is great because a lot, a lot of times you don't totally see that in the performance space, but they knew and they have always been on my side. And I've quite literally been doing it ever since. That's incredible. Yeah, and I I did it throughout high school. I then went on to college. I got my BFA in music theater uh, from Mm -hmm. Elon University. I graduated in 2021, moved to New York a couple months later, and here we are doing the thing. And you are doing it. And are your parents still performing? Yes, so my, it's so funny, when we were growing up, my uh, mom worked a lot with a children's theater company in the area called the Uncommon Theater Company. And they, a lot of times did like productions with both adults and children to get everybody involved. So like there were times when it would be my dad and me and my brother on stage. There was like one time when it was all four of us. Um, it was like a brief moment in a Christmas carol when someone got sick. My mom was like, I'll step in. Um, oh my goodness. But oh yeah, we're definitely a big karaoke family. I'll say that. I'll say that. That has to be so fun. And I wonder what family holidays are like. That's got to be so fun. Oh, bananas. Just absurd. (laughs) So much fun. So here's an unrelated to our topic question, because I'm always curious. Do you think that like a good singing voice is true genetic talent or can it be learned? You know what's so funny? I took vocal pedagogy in college, which is basically like you study the voice and the instrument and how it's used and what vocal training is like. And that is the question I asked so much because I think about it I'm like I was raised by a soprano and a tenor and my brother and I were blessed with his ability to be able to sing and I'm like mm-hmm. that has to be genetic but at the same time like is it because both of my parents are singers and no one in their family sung until them oh wow so like, who knows I remember asking that question so often because I it was just like is it you know Yeah, you have examples of both. So maybe it's both. It has to be genetic, right? 
I don't know. So interesting. Yeah. I like to think that it's not because I tell myself I'm a good singer, even though no one but my dog in my shower will hear me sing. (laughs) It's just fun for me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's incredible that you have the whole family on board. So, and that gives me so many more questions that we will get into, but you have been open about your recovery from an eating disorder. So can you also tell us about where that fit into the timeline? How was your relationship with food from childhood until now? And especially as performing became more a part of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I always say that like my eating disorder started for a very different reason than what it kind of became, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I started um, like kind of using those kind of unhealthy behaviors, it was really a coping mechanism because I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and there was a lot going on. And so I turned to food and my body as a way to control that. And then one thing led to another, and, you know, as lives evolve, a lot of times like the eating disorder will evolve with it. So when I got to high school, it was, still like a coping mechanism and a tool, but it also became like, it also kind of started intertwining with my career when I started getting into college auditions. And then with college came a whole new set of worms. Um, Because I was like an adolescent and then I got to college and it was just me. And it was, I was in control of everything. Um, And there's this crazy culture of the hustle and the grind and this glamorization of not taking care of yourself, especially in collegiate performing arts programs. You see it in, you know, um, high school performing arts programs as well, but in collegiate specifically, um, there's this crazy culture that if you're not working yourself into the ground, you're not working hard enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was in, I had been in active recovery when I was entering college and um, it's, you know, I, I definitely didn't, I could have taken more steps to prepare and ensure myself, you know, I, looking back, I wish I had set up a team there. Um, even if I didn't need it immediately, just someone that I knew I could fall back on if and when I needed it. Um, but I used, you know, food and my body as ways of coping with those negative emotions and feelings. And I always said like, you know what, maybe I, I can't be the most talented in the room. Yeah, maybe I won't be the best but I know I can be this, you know, and that's something I can always depend on. It's something I can always be there for me, which is that, you know, the way that eating disorder like twists your mind to think that like, this is the only thing you're going to have. The only thing that makes you worthwhile, which is something good at. Exactly. Like you're good at this and you know, you're good at this and you can be the best at this. Um, And so that was a big a big thing for me is college kind of changed the game in terms of like, okay, this is a new ball game. I'm on my own. You're an adult now. I have to choose this for myself actively every day. Um, and there were a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where my, my eating disorder just kind of fit into, into my life, especially in the performance space. Sure. And so you mentioned being in recovery before getting to college. So mm-hmm. What helped you, well, I guess backtracking a little bit, at what age did you first notice behaviors? Probably around when I was around like 13 um, Mm -hmm. was when I really started. I was in middle school. I was in eighth grade. um, And that was kind of the first um, exposure I had really had to it. And I, you know, I never, it was kind of a secret, you know what I mean, as it kind of is, but like my, my family knew and my friends knew, um, but I never really had a label on it and I never had a name for it. And then once I got into my junior year of high school, it was that summer, I went into a um, partial um, hospitalization program um, for that summer, which was definitely the best, the best thing for me and my family. Um, it helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of tools and access to a lot of things that I needed. It also helped me. I mean, obviously, it, it healed my body from things that i had been putting it through for years and years and years. And that's such an important part of a young woman's life specifically. You know, I was getting my period for the first time and, you know, I was on birth control and there were things like it was a, it's a very, as you know, of course, it's a huge time physically because your body is changing so much. Um, so you know, I feel very lucky that I was able to receive the treatment that I did when I did um, for that reason. Yeah. And with that treatment, um, I do just want to first define because 
I still find it bizarre that partial hospitalization has the name it does when it's actually a lower level of care than actual hospitalization. So that is typically a day program. So I imagine you were going in for day treatment, Mm -hmm. like three to five days a week, um, therapy groups, nutrition, meals, all of that. So what you're describing with kind of how you saw things initially as this doesn't have a label, probably it's not really a problem, but then getting to the point of actually going to treatment, what was that transition like and how did you come to the realization and agreement that, yes, I I do need treatment, I am going to go to this program and really mm-hmm. allow yourself the permission to get that help? Well, I remember, I just remember it kind of getting to a point where it... I don't know. I feel like we eating disorders are tricky because we convince ourselves that we aren't sick enough constantly because there's this notion that if you are not, I mean, I kind of like what I said before, that if you are not at this specific, specific weight or size or physical or medical need, then you are not sick enough. Um, And I think a lot of that one comes from the way that we talk about eating disorders. I think a big part of that comes from the way that insurance and um, primary care providers a lot of times talk with these things. Um, you know, I've had friends in the past who have struggled, who have needed a very high level of care, but physically they haven't qualified. I'm using air quotes um, yes. because they don't meet some quote medical um, uh, criteria needed by their insurance to cover it. Um, and I just think it's so crazy that we are literally waiting until we are at, not to be morbid, but waiting until you are at death's door to get the help. You're waiting until you're at rock bottom to build yourself up. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm like, gosh, if I could have gotten that help when I was halfway down the elevator there, it would have been a lot less time. But Exactly. Um, Yet when you're at that point where you're halfway there, that's probably when you're getting the most praise from the people who don't know what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. And it's when it's when you can probably make the most progress because you're not as in deep as you will be. Um, exactly. But was, but that's, yeah. That is so important to note this idea that nobody feels deserving. And I... I always tell people because I hear it from all of my clients, you know, is it really a problem? You're telling me I'm not eating enough. I don't know. They like, oh, this dietitian's actually seeming kind of crazy now, Um, which no one ever says to me, but I, I'm sure is a sentiment. Like I totally understand that. And it's, it's so interesting. It's so important to know that the disordered thoughts will lie to you. And I tell people all the time, if my job were based on, and especially, I guess it's less so in private practice because a lot of people do come to me of realizing that they want to change things. But especially when I worked in treatment centers, I always said, you know, if we got clients based on people believing that they truly deserved help, we'd be out of business. Mm-hmm. We would never have anyone because you it's so hard. Would. You never and would because, yeah, we're just told that it's never enough and that someone mm-hmm. else has it worse. Um, and that, we, which means in turn that we are not deserving of it. So that was something that was hard for me to realize, but it only took one step because once I was open about that, there were people around me that I was lucky enough that were willing to help me and keep, yeah. you know, keep like, say like, okay, then let's keep going. You know, it wasn't all on me because I was an adolescent at that time. Right. Um, I mean, it was definitely different when I was in college and I had to make that choice for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, that's huge. Out. That is so huge and something that I would love for you to talk about the experience of that because everyone relates to this when I bring it up to them in a session that it is so much harder to plate a meal for yourself, buy food for yourself, give yourself the nourishment you know you need versus having someone else put it down in front of you and tell you, you need to eat this. That can still be hard actually following through and eating it or, you know, stopping whatever behavior, you know, is not serving you like, yes, that's hard. But when someone else tells you, you need this, this is what's good for you. It can be easier to give yourself the permission and follow through versus you being the only one telling yourself, yes, I need this. So can you talk more about how that was for you? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, and a lot of it is so fuzzy because I wasn't fueling myself properly. And so my brain obviously was not functioning at a level that it should have. Thank um, you for saying that. Yes. yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Even the other day, my boyfriend was like, God, I just feel so like out of it. I just feel so off. And I was like, 
well, what did you eat for breakfast? And he was like, why? He's like, I had a, a granola bar. And I was like, yeah, what time? I was like, of there course, you I feel like your head is literally in a cloud because it is. Like, you're, you know, um, but, um, you know, so a lot of it, you know, a lot of the details are a little bit fuzzy um, from that time. But I do remember actively the first time I met with the nutritionist that got me through college and that I, to this day, was still in contact with. Um, and I credit her a lot for where I am today. Her name um, is Laura Watson. Um, oh. And um, well, because I went to her and like, I, I consider myself like a nice person, like a kind person. Um, but I, you know, eating disorders, they make you ugly. They make, they turn you in the, the voice that comes out is not your own. So I always say like I said and did some of the worst things that I would never say now um, mm -hmm. to people that I cared about and that cared about me and that were trying to help me. Um, and so I remember meeting with her and being like, listen, the last two nutritionists that I have worked with, I have literally bullied to the point where I have left. Like, <laughs> which is like, like I have literally bullied, which I'm sure yeah. that you're used to. Yes. But like, <laughs> just, and I remember telling her that and she was like, okay. But she was the first nutritionist I ever had that really met me halfway. Like she was kind of like, all right, this is where we're at. Let's see where we can go from here. And bit by bit, year by year, she um, is one of the big reasons that I'm where I am today. And she was really one of the only people in my life that was telling me straight up. You know, she wasn't, she would never sugarcoat anything. She'd be like, this is where you're at. This is what's happening. You have two choices. Like, Mm -hmm. When things were bad, she was the first one to tell me, be like, listen, these are the two options, which I needed. I needed that harsh reality. I didn't need the, I needed someone to tell me straight up, like, if you keep making these decisions, this is where we're going to end up. And right now, this is where we are. So what are you going to do now? And she was always very, very adamant about things. Like, this is your choice. You know, you are not, you don't have to be here. Um, and there were times when I would say, okay. And I wouldn't see her for a month because I was so convinced that I didn't need her um, or that I didn't need therapy or a meal plan. Um, and I always came back because mm -hmm. I, I did need it. Um, and I was now in control of my own life. Um, and there was, I, I, it was very clear. There were moments when I, when I saw the path that I was going down um, and yeah. So I, I, credit, I, I give you guys a lot of credit for the, the, for my friends, the shit that you got to put up with. Cause, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, people, I will have clients apologize to me. I'm sorry. I'm being so annoying. And I always say, if it annoyed me, I wouldn't be doing this job. You yeah. know, we know. And I know that like, yes, I've had those moments of the quasi bullying, but I always know that's never who that person really is. And I mean, it's amazing to hear that you had this incredible dietitian who is doing what I hope all eating disorder dietitians do. What I think is so important is exactly everything you said, meeting someone where they're at, because making a drastic change, it's too scary. It's too overwhelming. It's taking away too much. Like you said at the very beginning, like these behaviors are giving you something. They are a coping mm -hmm. skill. They are giving you not real control, but a false sense of control that yeah. feels good and you can't just rip it away without anything else. Um, so meeting someone where they're at is so important and the power of choice and mm -hmm. recognizing that you do get to choose. And, you know, something else I always say to my clients is, you know, the root of the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. If my way doesn't work, you can go back. Like, I'm not taking that away from you. I can't force you to do anything. You can always go back to it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've seen plenty of clients who have done what you did. Like, they'll come, they'll leave, they'll come back, they'll leave, they'll come back. And it's totally fine. You know, mm -hmm. it has to be in your own time or else it's not going to serve you. It's so true. And like, everyone's recovery is so personal. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so like, I know, for instance, when it came to something that was huge for my recovery especially when I was in college and making my own decisions was having a meal plan. Um, and mm -hmm. it's something that I find 
even, you know, I'm 23, I have not been on a meal plan for the last like two years or so, like medically on the meal plan that my doctors created for me that I, for my body's needs. Um, And sometimes when I find myself falling into behaviors or like sometimes I hear that voice getting a little loud, I will go back to the things that I learned. And even if it's just for one meal, like I will build a meal based off of that plan because I know that that plan was built to give my body what it needs. Um, and it was interesting because when I first, I've been on a couple meal plans um, mm-hmm. in my, over my, my time and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what worked best for me was something that it took us like two years to really figure it out um, because so many meal plans are based off like exchanges or sometimes they're very specific. Um, and we found like, sometimes you have to meet a certain number of exchanges in a day um, and that was really hard for me was trying to meet all of these exchanges every day. So what we started to do is we learned, we were like, okay, what if we instead built a meal plan for every individual meal, which helped me so much. So like say for breakfast, um, we, I always, I tried to make two, have two starch exchanges, two fats, two proteins, um, two fruits or vegetables, and maybe something additional which was so helpful because it helped me to learn how to build meals that really fueled my body properly. Same with snacks, you know, like an apple is great, but an apple with peanut butter got me through jazz. Whereas an apple got me through half of the class and then I was tired and hungry and annoyed and thinking about food and then I couldn't focus. Um, So, and like, that's something that we only found out through time. Um, It was through trial and error. But when I, you know, when I find myself in those sticky situations or say I know that I'm going to be really busy, I will always go back to that plan and think like, okay, I'm going to be gone for an extended period of time and I'm going to pack myself snacks, but I know that I'm going to have, I should eat something that's really going to get me through at least these first couple of hours. And then I'll go back to that plan and think, okay, I have two starches here. I got two fats, two proteins. What am I missing that could help? this out more. Mm-hmm. And that is using the tools you have. It's not a failure. It's not a relapse. It's not like losing progress. You know, that's amazing. The the cliche is actually so true that recovery is not linear. Mm-hmm. You know, you can leave the meal plan and go back to it and go back to it for a day or a week or a meal. And like it is a tool that you have forever that you don't have to force yourself to abandon just because, oh, you're past that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's helpful guidance. And whether you call it a meal plan or guidelines or framework or whatever works for you, it, there's no shame in using that. Yeah. And it's scary too, because I know like, I, you know, I, regardless of what my brain tells me, you know, I, especially in the theater world, I'm a thin, white, cisgendered woman. Like as much as my brain tells me that my body looks a certain way, I know now and can tell myself like rationally, I understand that my body, like regardless of how much weight I gained or didn't, I was still going to be in a thin, quote unquote, thin body, you know, a socially acceptable body in the theater industry. So when I talk about my recovery and weight gain, something I try always to be very clear about is that the last thing I want to do is speak for um, the people that are in our community that are also in recovery and fighting for this, um, who are also in fat bodies, you know, who are in different bodies, Um, because that's the last thing I want to speak for, because I, you know, I don't represent that. Um, So the thing that I try and advocate for the most is focusing on how you are fueling your body and how you are taking care of yourself. Um, because that was the thing that changed the game for me. You know, I was, I was so scared that when I gained weight that I needed to for my body to be healthy, um, I wasn't going to be cast or hired ever again. No one was ever going to want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was going to be undesirable. And, you know, over the, as recovery happens, like, especially when you're in your young 20s, like your body is already changing so much. So, when it came to gaining weight and fluctuating, like my weight has fluctuated so much. And even to this day, you know, I'm in a very firm part of my recovery. I look back at pictures of myself four months ago and I see little changes in my body and I, or I feel it in my clothing. I'll say like, oh, this is a little bit tighter. Like, you know, or um, 
like my body is constantly changing and that's something something that no one ever really prepared me for especially in the performance space you know I was just involved in a show where I was in the ensemble for and it's a really big show which means there was a lot of dancing and moving and I was exerting so much energy Mm -hmm. And I noticed my body slightly start to change. And, you know, I only noticed that because it was the way that my clothing was fitting. And it was something that I, I had to take stock of. Something that no one prepared me for was that my body sometimes is going to change from contract to contract, from show to show. And, mm -hmm. but regardless, I, um, it doesn't change how I should be feeling my body. Um, and especially for a show like that. Um, that was a big, like, okay, we need to be eating three meals and three snacks a day because we are putting so much out there that we need to be putting stuff in. Yes. Um, and that was something that nobody prepared me for. So it's something now that even like I still, especially when that show ended, I had, I was very conscious and very careful about like, okay, you know, cause your, your brain, your eating disorder notices that you've um, your like your body is growing to be a little bit smaller and it takes that and it'll run with it mm -hmm. um, and so it took a lot like I had to take a step back and every day it was like an okay this is this is not a good thing it's not a bad thing it's just something that happened it's it's something that's neutral and we're just going to keep going we're doing the same thing that we are doing um, and when there were moments that I struggled you know I used the skills that were at my disposal and the the people that I have in my life um, that I built around me to kind of sustain this life and this recovery, I turn to them. But it's hard and it's strange because no yes. one, I feel like no one's really talked about it, like recovery in this atmosphere until very recently. Right, right. And it's similar to, you know, I am the furthest thing from a dancer, but I am a runner and talk to a lot of runners. And there's this idea with any sort of physical activity that if I'm not active, I don't need the food. But really, mm -hmm. you learn your baseline. And then if you're active, you need more, but never mm -hmm. less. Exactly. And that is the opposite of what we hear. So it's it's really challenging, but amazing to hear that you were able to learn that and experience it in recovery and, you know, tweak things to do it the right way and the healthy way. And so, especially in the industry you're in, I would love to dive more into the the fears that you mentioned of, if I gain weight in recovery, I'm not going to get a job or, um, you know, any of those comparisons. Will I be what people are looking for? When did that start for you? And have you gotten specific blatant messages at auditions or mm -hmm. in school about your body? Like what is the kind of performance specific um, triggers and recovery world like? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very tricky. You know, I think when I got to college, things got a lot harder and I always mm -hmm. said to my therapist, I was like, I just feel like when I graduate, it's just going to get a little easier. And it did. It absolutely did. Great. Oh, that's because good to hear. You are just operating in this, this world and this atmosphere and this tiny little bubble um, where everything seems like the firm, hard truth um, and everything seems like it's the end of the world. Um, so I know like when I first got to school, like gym culture in theater is huge. Like you will all, there, like there was like maybe max 20 people per music theater class. There were only four classes at a time. There was always a music theater major at the gym. Anytime you would go. Um, always. Wow. Always. Because <laughs> there, I mean, I, I would like to say that the industry is starting to be a bit more progressive with this, but at the same time you hear stories and you see things on casting breakdowns that make you realize that it's not. Um, so where did that come from, that gym culture? Did you come in and you know hear from professors that you had to look a certain way or was it just kind of established and well, all the I mean, majors yeah. are doing this? I mean, the people that you see that are conventionally successful especially I would say like from like, I would say the year 2000 to like 2015, everyone is fit and thin and more often than not white um, and muscular and toned, you know, still to this day, you will see on breakdowns, especially for cruise lines. We are looking for um, a fitness photo with your, um, with your submission. Like we're looking for strong built dancers, which is just coded language for we don't want fat dancers on this ship. 
That's can, such a new thing. People have realized, oh, skinny is toxic. So now we're just going to talk about looking fit, which by yes. the way, looking fit is not a thing. You can't no. tell us. No, also like the size of your body does not dictate the level of talent that you have. Totally. You know, I have met some of the best dancers I have ever met are fat dancers. Um, but there is this notion, there is this notion that fat performers um, and fat actresses um, or fat actors cannot play the conventional love interest. You know, like they, and we've seen it time after time and year after year. And there are people that are challenging the status quo, status quo, sorry. Um, and once again, like the last thing I want to do is speak for that plus size community of that operates in the dance and theater world. But there are people who are speaking out about it, who are speaking at conferences where there are educators, like my friend Katie Garrity, um, who was just Little Red into the, in the Into the Woods revival on Broadway, and she's going out on tour, mm -hmm. has done many a Broadway show. Um, and I think she is one of the most eloquent speakers I see. I wish I could have listened to the words that this woman spoke when I was in high school, because I think it would have changed so much. Um, mm -hmm. And I think she's one of the actresses that is changing the way the industry works because she is not afraid to say what's mm -hmm. on her mind. Um, and there are so many people that need to hear it. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I had convinced myself that no one would want to hire me and want to, I had my eating disorder had convinced me of that, that right. no one would want to work with me um, because I, you know, I play very young roles. You know, there's a big thing in theater that, um, they, you know, when there's like, say, a 15 year old character, a lot of times they'll cast someone who is a legal adult. So they don't have to cast a child, deal with child labor laws, all of that stuff. So, like, oh, yeah. the last couple shows I've done, I, the oldest character I played was 20, you know, and I'm 23. Wow. And I'll probably be doing that until I'm almost 30, which is, mm -hmm. I always think, a blessing because by the time I'm 30, I'll probably finally look 20. Um, <laughs> but I had convinced myself that by gaining this weight that people would not cast me as those roles anymore and I wouldn't be marketable because we are told in these programs by educators specifically, and this is changing. This is, this is definitely changing. I know it's changing at my university, um, as faculty come and they go, um, we are told that there is a standard that we have to fit into this industry. And when we don't fit into that mold, people can't market us. And they don't know what to do with us and we won't get jobs. Now, this ideal is changing. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of time. I always say, I think when our, I'm very curious to see what, when my generation is sitting behind the table, um, right. what decisions and what panels are going to look like. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a huge thing, you know, and I would say um, I had a very good college experience. You know, I will only, I've only ever received one comment on my body and it was, you know, it was from a teacher and it wasn't intended the way that it came out, but it was after a summer that I had been very mentally not okay and had lost mm -hmm. a lot of weight and someone had commented on it and praised me for it. And I was like, God damn it. Like wow. I was, and I, and I had the forethought to know, like, that was the last thing I needed to hear. And like, uh, right. Where were you in your recovery at that point? And how I did was, you? I, I was at, I was, I always feel like I was at the crossroad where I was like, I can either go to the hospital or I can choose this. Like there was no option. Like medically we were at a crossroads. Um, and when you were borderline medically unstable, you got complimented on your appearance. Right. And like, I always say like, I hold nothing against that teacher because I think she, you know, she came from a time and from a form of education where like that was not seen as, you know, she wasn't trying to, um, she wasn't trying to, you know, say those things. But like, if that was said to me as a thin, able-bodied performer, the things that I have heard um, and the stories that I have heard told by so many fat actors and actresses about the things mm -hmm. that they have seen and the things that they have been subject to, it's absurd. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So what is the process like um, of auditioning? Like, for example, when you're talking about kind of what people are looking for, asking for fitness photos or whatever, I I have this image of, you know, auditions on Broadway, a, a huge line of people going in and they're all in their like dance clothes. I don't know, um, probably what I've seen in a movie or something. But 
what is that process actually like? I imagine there's lots of comparison and pressure on yourself when you've gotten these compliments, when you're at a a thinner weight or a small size, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the potential triggers or just the challenging parts of actually going out and getting a job in this field? And then what are the ways that you personally cope with those things? Yeah, I would say, I mean, that's, you said it, you said it best, like comparison is a huge thing. And I know Mm -hmm. when I was in school, I was spending hours and hours a day looking at my body in the mirror because we were taking dance class, you know, like there were, it was, it was tough because physically you, you needed the mirror, you know, in ballet, there are times when like, you need to look at what your body is doing in order to correct, like, um, correct things, um, and learn proper technique. And, you know, obviously I'm not nearly in class as much as I was. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's another reason why I think my recovery has been a lot easier, but something that I, something that I started doing my halfway through my junior into my senior year is I was very open with my professors if I felt comfortable. And I was very lucky that I had professors at Elon who were very kind and understanding. And when I would say things like I, there was, I remember once we had to, um, there was an assignment that had to focus very heavily on our bodies um, and what they looked like and how they functioned and how they operated. Um, and I remember telling the teacher being like, I, I can't write this about my own body objectively. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think I can do that. Um, but I'd be willing to write it on something else if you'll accept that. And she said, yes. Or that I had a ballet teacher where I would, you know, typically there's a uniform that you have to stay in. And I would say, you know, at the beginning of the semester, I felt comfortable enough going up to her and being like, listen, this is where I'm at. Um, this is what I struggle with would it be okay? Like there might be days when I might have a harder time with this. Would you be okay if maybe I wore X, Y, and Z, if I'm having one of those days, um, if I need to step out for a minute, I'm so sorry. Um, and they would say, I totally understand. Um, and it felt like a safer space. I was really able to, you know, I felt safe there. I didn't feel like I was literally battling against everyone but myself in that room. I was also very open with my friends and my peers when I started becoming very open about what I was struggling with, I found out that not only were a lot of people struggling with the exact same thing, and they were just waiting for someone else to talk about it. Um, But there would be moments where I would like, be looking at myself in the mirror, and I would turn to my friend next to me and be like, I'm having such a hard time looking at myself right now. And they're like, Oh, like, I completely understand. Like, like, let's do this. Like, you know, and it all of a sudden when I like relinquishing that power, you know, giving it out and giving, not just not giving it to someone else, but saying it out loud and getting it out into the open took away a little bit of that power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Absolutely. Eating disorders yeah. thrive in secret mm-hmm. because once you say it out, I mean, especially coming from a recovered perspective, you're able to see how untrue these things are. And deep down, even when you are in the depths of the eating disorder, it's not all of you. The The real you is in there and it knows it's not true. And it just, the eating disorder just doesn't want to put it out there and then let that other voice really win. So that is so key, like being open. And it sounds like you really knew yourself well enough to know what was going to trigger you, what you needed mm-hmm. and what was going to work. And that's so individual. So whether mm-hmm. it's coming up with that plan with your dietitian, your therapist, you know, I know I'm always talking to clients about, okay, what's coming up in your week, in your month, mm-hmm. what events that are going to be hard? How are we going to plan ahead for that? Because it's so helpful in the moment when it's harder to make that decision on the spot. Yeah. And I know like I had um, my college roommate of four years. We happened to live together for literally four years, you know, That's like, we, yeah, crazy. We like mm-hmm. got out of college audition and then literally lived together all four years. Oh, um, I love that. But she, uh, um, I was always really open and honest with her. And there would be times when like, I know a big thing for me is with snacks. And that was the hardest mm-hmm. thing for me because I was the only one in my program fueling my body properly. Maybe I wasn't the only one, but it sure as hell felt like it. And mm-hmm. so it was so hard to feel like i deserve this and need this when I'm seeing everyone around me not doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would have, you know, my roommate Katie would, if we like both were coming from the same class, we both had time, she would eat a snack with me. Like she would bring something too. And even just having someone else 
in solidarity with that was so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Or like my boyfriend um, who I dated for a lot of college would do the same thing. He'd be like, okay, like I'll have a boost too. Like let's both drink mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, That's great. Yeah. And so many people are willing and you just don't know until you ask. And the way that you said what you said is so important because so many people are the only one in a scenario eating the snack. And I often hear, well, I'm the only one who has to do this. I'm the only one who needs this. No, you're not the only one who needs it. You're the only one who's fueling adequately. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a matter of, oh, why does nobody else need to eat as much as I do? We just never know who is harming their body, who is fueling their body, who is listening to their body, who is not. It's true. So yeah, that perspective of, okay, I'm pushing through the, um, whatever it is, the norm, the unfortunate norm, and like actually doing things a healthy way is such good perspective. Yeah. It's, you mean you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to someone who is in that scenario now, somebody who's struggling with their relationship with food, maybe who is a college student, what would you say to those people? What would you say to younger you as advice to really get through it when they are feeling like, I'm the only one, I have to stare at my body all day in the mirror, I don't want to eat these snacks in front of everyone, and all those challenges are coming up? Um, It's so funny. I, I started making content on social media because of well, not even specifically for this reason, but my nutritionist, Laura, I remember one day my senior year, one of the last sessions I ever had with her, I was like, I just wish that there was someone on social media that I could have seen that wasn't like on the other side of recovery, that mm-hmm. was in it, like actively every day is a, is a different battle who was mm-hmm. also in this field who was show, like showing th- that this is normal and that you can do this. Like, this is a thing that you can do. She was like, well, Kara, why can't that be you? And I was like, I don't know. And then <laughs> four years later, and I was making, you know, content about my life as an actor. And I was like, I think this is my why can't that be me moment. Um, and I would go back and, you know, I would tell myself, I could tell myself my freshman year of college, like, you are, you are going to have a life that you have dreamed of having because of the decisions that the hard decisions that you have made. You know, I would not be the person I am, have the opportunities that I have, have the jobs that I have had, have the career that I would have had if I had not decided to put myself first. If I had not decided to do the work and invest in myself. I heard a quote once that said, in order to produce live art, you first must live. And that stuck with me for so long because I'm such an, like you, it's, yeah, I know it's beautiful because mm-hmm. in order to like be an artist and a performer, you have to have other things. Like I always say, I knew, I knew I wanted to be with the agents that I'm with now because the only thing they asked me after like seeing me perform was what else do you like to do? So I was like, oh my gosh, like you, you came on me as a person. Like you, and I, I felt safe and I felt at home with those people. And I'm such a firm advocate in that, you know, you have to be your own best friend because at the end of the day, you are all that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this cycle of self-destruction, it's not sustainable. Um, mm-hmm. And the true joy that I have found in the moments that only recovery has given me is such a, it's such a blessing. You know, I, I live in my own apartment that I pay for, <laughs> that I furnish, I pay my own bills, I yes. work a job, I am fighting so hard every day to make these crazy dreams be a reality. And I would not be able to do that had I not said yes every single day and continue to say yes every single morning to mm-hmm. taking care of myself and prioritizing myself, you know? Yeah, man, I just hope that anyone listening really takes in those words and and uses them as fuel because uses them along with food for fuel. <laughs> because it's it's so important. It's so amazing. I mean, I love watching my clients get to that realization and when people are more at the beginning of recovery and and you touched on this as well, just the especially if someone is restricting in particular your brain 
is not at a place where it can comprehend how good it's going to feel. So it's nearly impossible to imagine the results of making that choice to make the commitment every morning, you know, fight for recovery, do all those things. So having, you know, my words, your words to hang on to that, okay, yes, someone is saying it's worth it until you get to the place where you're healthy enough to physically, mentally, intellectually know mm-hmm. that yeah, it is worth it. Like just having that healthy perspective is so important and and it's not always possible early on, but like the impossible is possible. <laughs> it is. It is. And like it's and it's so worth it. Yeah. Like it's just so worth it. Um mm-hmm. yeah. How if you had to kind of wrap it up nicely how would you describe recovery? I mean, it's messy and it's ugly and it's quite literally something you have to choose every day. Like I still actively wake up every morning and make those decisions. You know, there are still things in my head. I still every now and then hear up, Oh, you don't need that. You don't need that. Or do you really need this? And it's something that I still actively choose every day. And, Gosh, I feel like I've been recovering for about half of my life at this point. If I have, um, but um, the the joy that has that I have found in my life when it hasn't revolved around food is undescribable. Um, and you know, I still, you know, I still struggle with the mirror and and seeing myself and all of those kind of things. But those experiences, like wearing a dress that fit around my midsection at the Tony Awards and Mm -hmm. eating pizza at the after party and drinking Mm -hmm. champagne, like that was the best night of my life. And it's something that I would have never been able to do even a year prior because I would have just been so consumed by everything else, the experiences, and there's so much that life has to offer um, that I had never allowed myself to see or that my eating disorder had never allowed me to see, Um, especially in this career. You know, we're told and we are convinced that we as actors are an afterthought and a performer and to put ourselves second. But once I started putting myself first, my life changed. Mm -hmm. It truly did. And I bet your work became better. It did because I finally <laughs> had, I was, like, I remember performing, like, I remember doing a perform. Well, that's like Catch Me If You Can, that show that I was talking about mm-hmm. was huge for me because I had done the show this summer, a couple summers prior, and it was truly the sickest I have ever been. Um, mm. And it was such an incredible experience. It was the best summer of my life. But that show was the lowest I have ever been. So getting the chance to revisit it two years post-grad in probably the strongest place in my recovery I've ever been was such a gift and really showed me like, oh my God, look at everything that you can do now. Look at all the doors that are open to you because you have chosen this, this new path. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible comparison. Yeah. It was truly, it felt like business. Like it was meant to be. Absolutely. Clear, clear evidence that it's worth it. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I, I am just smiling so much right now because this is it. This is why I do what I do because I know that this is possible for anyone. And Mm -hmm. it is just so, so inspiring. Um, So thank you for sharing all of that. Oh my gosh, of course. Thanks for letting me. Yeah, a lovely little high, not a little big high note. um, (laughs) End on here. But before I wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you or bring up that you think is important that you want to share with people? Gosh, um, pack yourself snacks. If you're in college, <laughs> yeah. snacks. Like, be that person that packs three in your bag, you know, for your friends. I always tell people <laughs> that. I'm like, make sure you eat a lot of snacks. Um, mm-hmm. They're the hardest part, but I promise they're what's going to get you through the day. Um, and I'm still that person with all the snacks in my bag. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whenever I leave home, so I am like, there. What do you want? Do you want nuts? Do you want a bar? Like, yeah. are, you, are you feeling like a bag of dry cereal? What are we thinking? Like, yeah. <laughs> a big fan of Trim. I just got, I just restocked the handful of everything trail mix from Target oh. is so excellent. You know what I love? There's this, I found it at Trader Joe's. There are these little like, 
peanut butter. I don't even know what they are, but they're like peanut butter and jelly, like those dip things. They're like these little like wafer spheres with peanut butter in the middle. And then you stick them in like jam. Like, oh, yum. I know, so random, but it's one of those things. I'm like, I wish I had this in college because that right there is like a full snack. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my fats and my proteins and my starches. Like, that would have been so easy. Incredible. Yeah. Take yourself to Trader Joe's if you need some good snacks. <laughs> yes. They've got some good ones, some easy yeah. ones too. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, that's the best tip I could ask for you to end on. Eat your snacks. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I'm just so thrilled to have someone, someone else echoing everything I say. So people know that I'm not crazy. Like, no, this stuff works. (laughs) No, it's okay. I've been, cause listen, I was the person that's probably listening to this right now. That was like, this is crazy. Why do I do this? I'm the exception. Right. Right. You're not the exception. You're special in other ways, but you're not the exception. (laughs) amazing well before um we totally wrap up tell everyone where can they find you where can they follow along with you where can they see you live what are you doing so the good news is is that my username is the same on like everything it's just my full name Kara is the petro on tiktok and instagram um Um, i perform a lot in new york city so i always post about them on theirs you can see if you're ever in town there's some stuff coming up in the spring that's really exciting and yeah Incredible. Well, I hope everyone who's in New York listening will get to see you live. I need to see you live and definitely follow. I will link everything in the show notes. So thank you again so, so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it and had some good takeaways. If you did, I would love to hear what's resonating for you. Send me a DM on Instagram or share the episode to your stories and tag me so that I can see that you're listening and hopefully loving it. You can also share this episode with a friend who you think would enjoy it and spread some intuitive eating love to everyone around you. As always, five-star ratings and reviews are so appreciated, so you can drop me one of those. Be sure to also check out the show notes for all the links that I mentioned and more information on myself and my nutrition private practice. Other than all that, I hope you have a great day and a great week, and I will catch you in the next episode.